Hey, Wizards fans, welcome to the latest episode of the Off the Bench Podcast presented by the Alibaba Group. I'm Chris Miller of NBC Sports Washington. This episode is for the alumni, the former players that wore the Wizards uniforms. And our first installment of the alumni pod is Richard Rip Hamilton. We had a chance, Drew Gooden and I, to catch up with Rip during our time over in Japan during the five-day, two-game exhibition against the Golden State Warriors. Before we get to Rip, quick shout-out to the folks in Japan for their amazing hospitality. We had a great time, learned so much about their culture, and obviously Drew and I had our fair share of food over there, which was excellent. We also talked to Rip Hamilton, and this is going to be an episode I think you're really going to enjoy because we're going to get into the mind of Rip Hamilton when he was drafted by the Wizards in 99. We talk about when he was traded to the Detroit Pistons, obviously winning an NBA championship there, but more importantly, what it was like playing in D.C. And there's going to be a revelation in this podcast about a iconic photo in Wizards history involving Rip Hamilton and Michael Jeffrey Jordan. All that and so much more coming up. So sit back, enjoy, Here's Richard Rip Hamilton in the latest episode of the Off the Bench Podcast. Wizards fans, welcome to episode two of the Off the Bench Podcast presented by the Alibaba Group. It is alumni edition. And yes, Drew Gooden is a part of the alumni when we talk about 25 years of the Washington Wizards. Our special guest today is Richard Rip Hamilton! That's the Pistons with our guy Mace, but yeah. it's great to be with you, man. Thanks for spending some time with us. No, anytime. Anything for my bro Drew right here. Not for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see that? that him right here, this is my guy right here. So when he, when you guys asked me to come through, I had to make sure I come through in the clutch for him. And you guys have had connections for a long time. We'll get into those. But as we said before, we're celebrating 25 years of Wizards basketball. And I wanted to start with you because you were drafted by the Wizards coming out of UConn. Kind of describe draft night once you heard it was the Wizards and then just your experience in the nation's capital. Well, first of all, you know, it was a blessing to get drafted. Uh, I remember draft being in Washington, D.C. at the MCI Center. Uh, I'm an East Coast dude, so I'm from Philadelphia, which is an hour and a half away. And I wanted to get drafted by Washington. Uh, I probably had a couple hundred people come to the draft that night. Uh, it, was a, it was an exciting feeling. Uh, you know, Steve Francis was another guy from Washington, D.C., who, who was telling us how great his city was during that time. And uh, I remember the moment uh, uh, when they actually called my name. And it was like the, with the seventh pick, the Washington Wizards picked Rip Hamilton, right? And the fans, the fans loved it. Because, you know, during the draft, it can be tricky, especially uh, when the draft is at, uh, at, at its home court on who they want or who they want to, go to, who they want to pick. But uh, when they called my name, I, I was excited. And I, I love the city. Uh, was wasn't too far from home, and I thought it was an opportunity for me to to bring that team to to the playoffs. They had a lot of great talent during that time. I was still a young pup, but uh, I was I was super excited to be drafted by the Washington Wizards. When did your connection with Rip start? Do you well, remember? I think he, he doesn't even notice. Uh, I had committed to Kansas, and it got to a point where they got some more commitments, and I started looking at the depth chart, and I was like, this might not be the school for me because I might not be getting any playing time. So I was like, what other schools recruiting me that's like my second choice? And believe it or not, it was UConn. Oh, wow. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't know this. See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I never told, we never talked about yeah. this. And the reason why is, is because of him, Khalid Alameen, mm -hmm. Jake Bosco, they just did the thing, the thing the last two years in a, in the NCAA tournament, I'm like, that's where I need to go 
that I'm going to back out my commitment. So I was this close of going to UConn and being freshmen with Karan Butler, who's also a Wizards alum. He picked the you right know, school, he, though. He still picked the right <laughs> school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He picked the right school. Yeah, I heard him. He's getting better in this TV thing, too. Did you see how he, he brought it all full circle? I did. The, the broadcasting school actually worked out for him after all. Oh, listen, the broadcasting school for both of us on day one, we didn't think we didn't think we were we were uh, good in this business yeah. at all. This is when we actually respect what guys like you do because it was finally it was it was, it was comedy central. <laughs> oh, it was it was. And uh, so then, not only the relationship, all the battles throughout the years, yeah. the playoffs uh, started in my rookie year. My first playoff series was against Cleveland. Detroit, you know, Detroit Pistons when yeah. I was in Orlando. Yeah, with T Mac when we went up three one. Oh yeah, T Mac put his. He put, the, he put yeah. the bad juju in there. Got out there. <laughs> started talking about oh, it feels good to be. Going to the second round, they gave Rip give us like thirty. Ain't nobody, nobody pulled it to the side. Ain't nobody pulled back to the oh, side. Hey, yo, listen, I thought he was gonna get it done for us. Yeah. We was up three one. We pulled him to the side at the game seven. We got smacked by twenty. <laughs> we'll get to your battles between Cleveland and Pistons yeah. in a minute. Yeah. But there is a, um, there are a couple of Wizards moments and photos for me that are iconic, and one of them is, ironically, in Cleveland. We were playing with MJ. Oh, okay. And MJ hits the game-winning shot. Because I was in the arena when it happened. And you and him together with that <laughs> fist pump. That was, that's probably one of my favorite Wizards photos. It's just because yeah. it was kind of like the young fella and then the goat. Yeah. And you both did it at the same time. Walk me through that moment. And, and, and what do you remember when you see that photo? Oh, man. I mean, you know, when Michael first came to play with the Wizards, it was magical for everybody, not just for the fans in the city, but for a young dude like me coming up and knowing that Michael Jordan was my idol growing up uh, was was magical. And I remember all the press that we used to get, right? And it, I always say it was like hanging out with the Beatles during that time, but it was but it was MJ. And uh, I remember going back home after the first couple of games and you turn on ESPN or turn on whatever, and all the highlights would be Michael Jordan. Nobody else. <laughs> Nobody else. No, well, not even on the other team. Yeah, <laughs> just him. Win, lose, or draw. Right? Yeah. It was it was MJ. So even when we come to the game, the cameras was all on MJ and everybody else was over there. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to figure this one out. I'm going to figure this one out right here. Okay, right? So I remember uh, when, he, when he took two dribbles, got to a spot, knocked down a shot. And then he was walking off because anytime M hit a big shot, he would always put the fist out. If yep, you look at yep. the history of his game, especially when he was in Chicago, he did it in practice. Anytime he made it, it was about the fist. So boy, oh boy, when I seen him make that shot and I seen him walking to the middle of the floor, I said, you know what, Rip? I'm getting right beside his ass. Hey, listen, they ain't gonna skip over me tonight. So I put my fist right next to it. And my mind was like, all right, you know what? Somebody's gonna get this shot, and when they get this shot, they gonna say what happened, and they ain't gonna know who made the shot, bro. So now my kids, I got that that, that uh, a big old poster, you know, in my uh, theater room, and my kids walk through, and they say, Dad, you and MJ got the same pose. What happened? I said, Dad hit one of his biggest shots. <laughs> Well, when yeah. I saw the shot, I thought you hit it. Yeah, when I saw it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to yeah. tell you the funny story about it. So, again, as I told you, I was in the, the vomitory because they called a timeout. Yeah. And I remember a buddy of mine 
who's from Cleveland, was sitting there, and he has had his heart broken by MJ, yeah. the shot one, the shot two. And I remember during the timeout, I looked over at him, and I said, David, it's about to be the shot three. He said, no, 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 don't say that. Because <laughs> as you know, playing in Cleveland, people kind of have a feeling about bad dis- bad things happening to their team. All the time. Yeah. They come out of the huddle, and you could, you just saw it. Now, the one thing that I didn't know, Rippin, you got to explain this to okay. me. Why in the hell did Cleveland double team Chris Whitney? Hey man, listen. I think they were a little nervous. I think they just <laughs> forgot what was going on. I, I, I forgot. I think they forgot number twenty three was out there. Right. Most importantly, but uh, I don't know why. I don't even remember that they even doubled him. I just know that how the hell did y'all allow MJ to get the ball? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I guess you know during that time, Cleveland went winning a lot of a lot of games, and I always say bad teams figure out a way to lose games. But uh, yeah, I, I still don't know to this day how they let him get the ball. But that's breaking news here on the Off the Bench podcast about the fist pump. Yeah, yeah. It was actually constructed yes, was in your mind. It was thought out. And, 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 and when we got back into on, on the bus, we got on the bus. I used to sit right next to MJ. MJ said, I see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were, you were a Jumpman athlete, too. Yeah. You were sponsored by Jumpman. Yeah. And there wasn't that many guys that were sponsored by Jumpman. I think maybe like Roy Jones, Michael Finley at yeah. the time, Derek Anderson. Eddie Jones, Eddie Mike Bibby, yes. Mike yes. So he's part of that crew. But I had to fight for it every day. Uh, right? Because, you know, playing with Michael every day, he's walking through the locker room, he's wearing samples, right? Yeah. He's wearing different samples of shoes, clothes, and we were a young team. So I think he was doing that just to catch the vibe to see what the young guys felt about the brand and what was hot and what was not. Uh-huh. So we used to always tell on him, that's that's hot, that's fire, whatever, whatever. And me and uh, Courtney Alexander, we used to always say, yo, you gotta put us on the brand. You gotta put us on the brand. Come on, MJ, you gotta put us on the brand. Yeah. So every day we begged him oh, wow. to put him on the brand. And uh, just happened years later, he actually put me on it. But uh, no, I begged him every day. Did I see? This has been a couple of years ago. Did you have like a semi truck full of like Jordan shoes? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes. <laughs> That's baller. Yeah, right? yeah, no, I like that. Uh, U-Haul. It was a U-Haul. Yes, I filled up. You see, you see, after the years, the U-Haul turned into a semi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I did. I had I had two U-Hauls filled up because I was actually moving to my other house, so I had to fill them up. And I was like, man, let me take a shot of this because. Brad Jordan, they take care of us, man. They took they to this day they still take care of me. And uh the amount of stuff that they give us each and every day. I mean, y'all see it now with Bradley Bill. I bet yeah. you he's probably wearing all types of yeah. crazy. Well Quentin Richardson, my neighbor. Oh, Q, yeah. I mean, he got a box everything. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. So, man, uh I got I got a lot, but somebody stole. Stole a lot of them from me too. Wow. Yeah, from moving. And before I used to always move my stuff. I used to get some U Hauls to move them back and forth, especially because I wouldn't let nobody touch them. And the one time I let somebody touch them, they got me. They was on eBay, they, they size was, 16. And I found out they was on eBay. Say, somebody uh, called me, somebody called me. You know too much, much of the story. Yes, yes, you already know. Tell me, what, what was one of your fondest memories putting that Wizards jersey on? You were talking about draft night, how your family was there. It was an exciting time because you were so close to Philly. Yeah. Maybe like the first time you put it on our training camp story or something where you were like, Mama, I've made it. Well, I think it was actually when I got drafted, right? And just knowing that, hey, I'm, I'm, at, I'm in a city that wants me, right? I mean, every kid wants to be wanted. 
And just to know that I got an opportunity to play with Mitch Richmond, who was another two guard and one of the goats at the position. So I'm like, hey, you know what? Mitch has probably got another five years, ripped this opportunity really to learn from one of the greatest two guards of all time. And Rod Strickland was a big part of it. Rod was the dude that put his arms around me, right? Because again, coming in as a young kid, and a lot of people don't know this, when you come in as a rookie, the other vets don't want you to, to, to shoot. I was a scorer. Right. You know, you, you got to come in and fulfill a role. So when you come in and you want to kind of try to be an alpha at, at, at a rookie, they're like, oh, nah, fall back, bro. Mm-hmm. You're shooting too much. And I remember Rod pulling me to the side because he passed me the ball, and, and I didn't shoot, and I passed it up. And I passed it to somebody else. I ain't gonna say the name. And Rod was like, "Yo, you need to shoot the ball." Best trick. You know, I had every game. That's Rod's numbers too. I read his numbers too. So he was like, "You need to shoot the ball." I said, "Rod, there's some dudes on the team tripping, saying that I need to pass the ball more." And Rod was like, "Yo, if anybody got a problem with you shooting the ball, tell them to come see me." Uh, so you know, Rod. Yeah, I know. You Rod. know what I'm saying? People ain't going ain't going to challenge him. So I said it. I have a problem uh, ever since. But I, I think that playing with them two guys, Rod and Mitch was excited for me because I was a fan of the game. And to get an opportunity to play with two greats this early in your career is only going to be beneficial for me long term. So it was a, it was a blessing. You going to Detroit, I'm sure a lot of people are saying. I didn't want to leave, though. You didn't want to leave? Yes. Make sure that's what I did not want to leave Washington, D.C. Why? I did. It was home. I mean, it was a place that drafted me. It was a, pers- a place that believed me. Uh, I love the fans. I love the city. Uh, I, I, I was bought in, like like I, I just loved everything about it. I went to my first go-go spot a couple of times. Uh, my guy Antonio, the Cuban cigar, took me there. Uh, but I, I just loved the culture of Washington, D.C. So it wasn't a place that I wanted to leave. And we were young. I felt, I felt as though we, you know, just like anything, when you're coming in with a group of guys, LeBron Prophet, Calvin Booth, like, you know, CA7, like I just felt as though if, if we had more time to grow, Good things could have happened for us, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything now. Just knowing how the future uh, happened for me, but uh, I didn't want to leave DC. Was that the first time you dealt with the business of basketball? Was when you got traded? I did, I did, uh, because again, you know, Drew knows this. As a kid, when you're playing basketball, you don't look at the business side. You just do it because you love it. Yeah. You do it because of the group of dudes that you're able to be, be with in the locker room, interact with, build with. So. Uh, for me, winning the national championship at Connecticut and building with a group of guys, coming in with six six freshmen, struggled the first year, and then uh, two years later winning the national championship. That was my thought process coming into Washington, but it just didn't happen. I want to give this conversation to you two now as we pivot to you going to Detroit. Okay. Because <laughs> this is when the podcast bad is going man. to... He was a bad man. <laughs> is it about to get spicy in here? Hey, yo, listen. So, what was the name of the play they used to run for you in Detroit? Was it Two Chess? Two Chess. <laughs> PTSD? Is that what it is? Two Chess. So, this, this, they still run this play, but I have not seen anybody run it to the perfection as the Detroit Pistons and Rip Hamilton. So, what it was the play started with him right the nail at the free throw line. He had Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace on both elbows ready to set picks. Yeah. He had a choice to come off either side. Now, in the scouting report, they said, hey, force him to, I guess you were, you were working. You were trying to force me to my left. Okay, force him to his left because yeah. he wasn't as uh, as good of a shooter. He could still shoot going yeah. left, yeah. but not as good as he was curling going to the right. It was yeah. a wrap. <laughs> you talking about insane in the mid-range? 
We wouldn't miss. It was a layup. <laughs> and I tell you, they probably ran that play maybe 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and the part about it was uh, it was tricky because I had two guys on both sides. And usually I started underneath the basket. And when I started off underneath the basket, you could force me to one side. But when I started at the top, I could come off the flare. So that was very tricky. So whatever side that you kind of uh, ran me off, I could still run all the way to the other side. And I always said it was a track meet in there. I didn't think it was a dude in the league that was faster than me or more conditioned to me. So regardless who you put on me, I was like, hey, like, I'm a haul ass off of one side. If I get to my spot, you did. And think about it. <laughs> the two guys are sitting in the pit. Either, you got Rasheed, okay. you got, they call Ben Wallace, body. That's his yeah. name. So you come from, you got to get bodied off that screen. And Dale Davis, I yeah. mean, uh, Eldon Campbell, uh, Chris Weber. I mean, they had a plethora of bigs over there. I mean, big dudes. So you come off one of those screens, he's open. It's yeah. a wrap. So you go to Detroit, and then they put together – Correct me if I'm wrong. They just put together guys that were in other situations. Yes. And they kind of just put you together. At, at what point did you guys kind of realize we have something special? Rashid. Yeah, totally. That that was that was the moment. <laughs> he, he, he said it right on point. Because we felt as though when I first got there and T. Lou was with me in Washington at the time. And T. Lou was like, yo, when you get to Washington, you're going to love playing with Chauncey because him and Chauncey were best Tyler, friends, yeah. right? So me and Chauncey kind of hit it all right. And Ben was kind of the staple there. Ben was the guy that kind of, you know, from when you look at the culture of the, uh, of the game and the culture of the team, Ben kind of said it just from a defensive standpoint. But we felt as though that we were good, but we wasn't great yet, mm-hmm. right? We still needed the guy, right? We needed the guy that could force a double team. We needed the guy that when I come off a curl or if I come off a pin down or Chauncey coming off a pick and roll, playing against Orlando, Drew can't blitz now. He can't blitz the pick and roll. He can't blitz the the pin down. Why? Because he got to get back out to Rashid. And if he don't, Rashid going to have 30 to 40 points. And then mentally, it's going to be like, hey, you know what, dude? My man is killing me. And what I'm going to see in the press is Rashid had a great game. So I got to get back to mine. So once Rashid came to us, I thought it was game over. I didn't think there was a team on this planet that could compete with us because now we had a dude that can one force a double team. He was unselfish. You know, people don't know how unselfish Rashid was, but he's a guy that I feel as though if he was a little bit more selfish, we'd have been talking about him being a top, I still think he is a top five power forward of all time. But people don't talk about it. I think he's a top five power forward all the time, but a lot of people don't think that because of his numbers, but he, he was a dude that really sacrificed a lot. Well, the narrative is because of all the technicals, but because he played at Carolina, we saw this kid was special, yes. skilled player. Yes. And, you know, once he gets to the league, you know, the narrative is the narrative, but he could play. Yeah. And also part of the D.C. family. Well, yes, he was. Exactly. You just exactly. said three of them. Ben Wallace, Rip Hamilton, and Rashid Wallace. Yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> all right. Do you want to bring this up now or you want to wait about I'm, it? I'm going to see what, see what you got going on. So, we were talking before. Um, <laughs> see what you got going see on. what you got yeah. going on. <laughs> so, I'm looking back at the Cavs and Pistons series. And okay, that's what you're going to do, huh? I, I just want to ask you. Hey, that's just, what you're going to do now. Hey, hey, you can skip over that. You know what? Since he's the guest, maybe hey, we'll hey, skip hey, over that. You, you can skip over that. I've always wanted to know, at what point when he scored 29 straight did you guys go, anybody else but him? Um, and I'm talking about LeBron James, of course. Oh, man. Listen. See that? 
It's unexplainable, right? You feel that, right? It's unexplainable. So it's still a, it's still top of mind. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, when you're playing the game, right, and Drew know this too, sometimes the game goes so fast and you kind of forget what actually is happening, right? Okay. And first of all, Brown was amazing that day, right? Because, I mean, to do what he did at, at that level, right, just knowing how great we were and Defensive. how great of defensive team that we were that we were at the time, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was crazy how it sounds. We did not know that he scored 25 straight points against us until we got back into the locker room. And one of the coaches said to us, and I don't want to get too crazy into it because, you know, I don't know if this is a rated R podcast. Uh, yeah, or rated it's a company. We can beep it out, right? Yeah, we, got, we, can, we can beep it out. Do your thing. Express yeah, yourself. <laughs> yeah. But it was, we didn't know that he scored 25 straight points. And we didn't find it out until we got to the locker room. But... It still boggles my mind that we didn't allow someone else to beat us, right? Take the ball out of his hand. And that was the big thing for playing with, you know, against great players like Brian or, or Kobe or, or whoever it was, T-Mac. It was like, yo, take the ball out of their hand and make somebody else, make somebody else beat us. But I got to get my thoughts together, man. And I know we ain't got a lot of All right, listen, I was on the weak side. Yes. All right, I was on, I was on the offensive end doing all, all those buckets. And I clearly remember nobody paying attention to the other four guys on the court. They were shading over. every. All the focus was on LeBron James. Tayshaun Prince, arguably one of the best on-ball defenders at that height and that length yeah. at that time, is pushing up and forcing LeBron to drive to Rasheed Wireless, Ben Wireless, all of that traffic. I mean, they were not even paying attention to us. I was flashing. I was wide open. LeBron wasn't paying attention to me either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah. was in his zone. I clearly remember a play. We should have took the ball out of his hand, though. We should have. We should have ran two. You guys were more. You guys were shading him yes. and loading up one side. It away from him. And yeah. I tell you what, it wasn't enough because as soon as LeBron got past Tayshawn, he jumped off that one leg, and it was whoever Ben Wallace, she, anybody could get it. Then I think they started doubling one time. I think Chauncey ran at him with Tayshawn, and he hit an and one three. Yeah. He like cocked his legs up and hung in the air yes. and shot it. And I was under the basket and when it went in, I was like, man, it's like angels in the outfield. Yes. It's like it's like it's like an angel, an invisible angel catching the ball and yeah. placing it in the basket every possession. Never seen a game like this before. Now I will give you your props. The year before that, when I was covering you in Cleveland, I I told him this before. When it was game seven in the palace, okay. I said this on on record. I said the Pistons are going to kick y'all's ass. Oh, we were. I, it was like oh, yeah, going we into the Palace that year in a game seven, you knew no one could have won in there. I don't even remember being in the game seven that See, year. That's 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 I thought I was only in two game sevens with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, that was a blowout. No, we, we, they, couldn't, they couldn't stay on the floor with us, to be 100% honest, because we, you know, they had a lot of young pups. We understood what Mac was, T Mac was, was doing to us. And, that was the time where Rick Carlisle let let us go, right? Because again, uh, this was still early in Rick's career, and Rick used to be a guy that was all about what he seen on the paper. That's how he coached. So guys were like, if, if I came out at the seven minute mark in the in the first quarter, regardless who we were playing, regardless how I shot the ball or Chauncey shot the ball, he was taking us out the game. And during that time, after y'all went up on us, what three three one three one. We were like, coach, you gotta let us go. 
You can't look on a piece of paper and say, oh, I got to bring this guy. You got to go off a field. And he just let us fly. Because you remember, like, both of us averaged almost 30 in that that series. We got back to to Orlando. I think Chaz had, like, 40 balls. (laughs) Chaz had, like, came back. 40, like, back-to-back, 38, 42, what you want? Rip giving you 27, 32. Yes, because playoffs is all about adjustments. And when you can make the right adjustments and and not just read off a piece of paper – Good things can happen on your on your on your ball club. I know a lot of people think analytics now. Yeah. Everything is numbers, but sometimes you got to go off the eye test. You got to go off the field, and uh, I think that was cha- that was the big change in his coaching career. Understanding that hey, sometimes because he ended up going to Dallas and winning the championship there with Carlisle. But as a coach, sometimes you got to go off the field and watch what's what's going on out there. And I think when you go back to LeBron's situation, yeah. that was the same. Thing that yeah. I can't. They, they probably should have had like three more championships. Hey, hey I want to. I want to say something different, but I. <laughs> I understand. I understand. This is Washington Wizards. Hey, I can't get too deep. We understand. Yes, I, I do want to ask one thing real quick before we get out of here about something Drew said about your unique skill set of hitting mid-range jump shots. Yes. And we hear now because it's such a lost art because everything is about threes or pain points. Is there a place still in the league for mid-range jump shots? Absolutely. Like, when Michael Jordan tells you, get that in your game. I remember a day in practice one day and I'm, I'm guarding. And two straight plays, he come down, one, two dribble, pull up in my face. And, and he's talking to me as he's doing it. He's also teaching while he's yeah. doing it, right? And he pulls up in my face and he's like, yo, Rip. Add that to your game. It's the hardest play in the game to guard the mid-range jump shot. Why would you eliminate that from the game, right? And I get it. Analytics, numbers, the game has evolved. But if you look at the playoffs, right, the teams that win the playoffs, if you look at Kawhi Leonard's success in the playoffs, all from that mid-range. If you looked at Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeMar DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan mid-range, Bradley Beal, guy that I love to watch, Super fan. He knows how to get guys off to him and get to that mid-range. What, set, what sets up your three-point shot? What sets up you getting all the way to the basketball? A guy that runs to the three-point line every time, that is easy to guard. I would love to play against a guy that just runs to the three-point line or just, you know, gets gets all the way to the left. A guy that can is shifty, that can get the spots. You're in foul trouble. You're in foul trouble night in and, 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 and night out. So I always say in the regular season, yeah, you get away with certain stuff, right? Because you know some guys play certain games four and five nights. You know, guys like you know pacing themselves for the playoffs. But when the playoffs start, mm-hmm. it ain't none of that. Everybody's locked in for a seven game series. Every game counts. Every possession counts. So I always say the game slows down some. Now the games are not 140 to 130. Now the games are 100 to 90, or some games might be 85 to 92. That is the hardest. Kids, fans out there, don't, don't listen. Don't listen to, to what everybody's out there saying. I mean, when you look at the history of the game and you go back to John Havacek, dudes like that, man, stick to that. Stick to the core fundamentals of the game and you'll have a long career. But when you look at the GOATs and you look at the greats, especially in our game, the best scores in a the game, they analyze and they understand the importance of the mid-range game. 
can't think of a better way to end it. Give some right. advice to the youngsters. <laughs> One of the top mid range shooters in the, in the history of the game. The you heard it first. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Always. Yeah. 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 Thank you so yes. much for the knowledge. Any any, anytime you want to go to a rated a rated R version uh-huh. and, and go back to them stories. Oh, I, we I got you right now. Come to camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got your sheet in on this one. I love it. I love it. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this latest episode of the Ultimate.